0: Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. You know, we are coming off of, uh, you know, I was just thinking this past week, we're coming off a pretty incredible Easter time. I love Easter and and we we saw over 900 people attend one of our three services and and many gave their heart and their life to Jesus. And I'm telling you, I love Easter, but can I tell you what I'm just as much excited about? This truth that the best is yet to come for Connect Church. Now Easter's wonderful, but, but I believe the best is yet to come. Why? Because you and I are gonna continue see, to, to see the truth and the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his death on a cross. We're gonna to continue to see that very message change hearts and lives in our community, in our homes, and around the world. Last week, we were reminded that the empty tomb fills our hearts with God sized dreams, God driven passions, so that you and I can know what it is to live God honoring lives. We've been in a series of messages entitled, God Can. We've been camped out in passages that, that have shown us what the impossible looks like. And here's what we begin to uncover about our God. That our God uses the impossible as a stage upon which he displays His glory and might all throughout history, all throughout the Bible, and in and through our lives. It's the message that God can. And this message is no more evident than when you and I look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at his cross, his death And his resurrection. We are reminded that God can. But there is an arena of our lives. There is an arena of your heart and my heart. Your life and my life. Where we can be easily convinced. That we face the impossible. There is an arena in our lives. That if we are not careful. We are also easily convinced. That even God himself. Is unable to bring healing. And that arena in our hearts and our lives comes to our hurts. Sometimes we hurt so deeply, so greatly, that we're even convinced God himself can't save the day. In church family, I'm going to tell you, I've been there. I've hurt there. And it's a hard place to be. I years ago... Uh, I was a youth pastor at, at Valley Grove Baptist Church there towards Seymour on Chapman Highway. And, and I'd gotten into ministry. And, and one of the things that I hated doing was always working in, in a church office. I, even here, I just keep staying always just working in a church office. Because everybody you're surrounded with are Christians and got the lingo and I it just, I love being out with, with people who just don't even believe like I do or people who don't know Jesus. I just love that. So at, at kind of a, in my early twenties, I decided I'm a full-time youth pastor. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out there. I'm going to get a job out in, in the world. And, and I want God to send me out on the mission field in our own county. So I thought, what is the, what is the scariest, the toughest, most challenging mission field in all of Sevier County? You ready what it was? Public school bus driver. I drove up here to the garage in my early 20s. Never driven anything bigger than my F-150, and I wrecked that a couple times. But I was going to drive a school bus and and share Jesus as much as I could through. Get out of that office and share Jesus. I went and took the test, and three minutes later, I am now a licensed school bus driver, right? And they don't give me just any bus. I get the newest, the biggest, the baddest bus in all of Sevier County. And I was pumped. I'm ready for the mission field. Well, the problem was there were not many routes open, except for there's this older gentleman who had driven this one route for years. And he was gonna give up his job. And so it was perfect. He was out where I was ministering. I thought, great, well, what are your routes? What is this route that I get to inherit? What, I'm so excited. Now, I don't know if you know the Seymour area much or the Chapman Highway area, but the route they gave me equals death. <laughs> and it was Happy Creek, and there's nothing happy about that Creek. It was shallow church road. It, it was, it was places like long branch road. I mean, in the holler back in the, in the, in the hills of, of Seymour, here's the deal. Those roads were tiny. They could barely fit in my bus. I had to drive that route many times just to learn how not to fall off the cliff on one side or to run up against the, the jagged rocks on another. And I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but just this much. It, those roads are terrible. So here I am, early 20s, three minutes after training, I'm riding kids around in the school bus. I'll never forget uh, my first pickup was at this home, and it was a sister and her brothers. They were my first pickup every day. They were my last drop off, right? They had that coveted spot on the bus, and, and I loved her. She's precious. And, uh, and what, here, she had one problem, one hang up, and that is every day, at least a dozen times a day, from picking her up to dropping her off, I would look in that ginormous rearview mirror and she would be standing up talking. Now, when you're riding a school bus, that's a pretty dangerous proposition, right? Especially on the roads that I'm on. So every day I was grabbing the mic saying, So, y'all, listen, you need to sit down. Sit down. Sit down. It, it never registered with her. She's a sweet girl, but she was a social butterfly. Her life and her enjoyment was just getting up on the bus and walking around. And then it happened. The day came. I'm on one of these small back roads, can only fit the bus. And a vehicle comes around a curve, and we meet. I slammed on my brakes, and I I turned a little bit to avoid missing the car. The car, knowing that I would win, went into the mountain. I was a really cool wreck. Anyway, but the car goes into the mountain, and and all of a sudden, I slam on my brakes. The bus comes to a stop, and I'll never forget. I'm sitting there. My heart's racing. And in my peripheral vision, a shadow going about 53 miles an hour came from the back of the bus to the front of the bus, and I heard, bam, on my dash. I remember going, huh, what in, what in the world was that? And I, I looked over, and in the, in the stairwell of the bus, was that little girl. She had traveled 53 miles an hour from the back to the dash, and now she's in the, in, in the stairwell, and I remember looking down, and, and I was full of compassion, I just went, you all right? And she goes, I was like, all right, get back up in your seat, you know? And so she crawled up the stairway. And can I tell you what she never did again? She never stood. She came in crawling on the bus, right? She didn't even go to the back. She never stood up. Man, she had learned her lesson. Here, let me ask you a question, church. Isn't that what life is like? Hey, Tracy, wasn't this what it was like for you? You're just going on to just the normal every day of your life. And then you visit a doctor, Or then you go home and someone who's supposed to be there is is not there anymore. And, And all of a sudden, life slams on the brakes. And before you know it, you have hit hard. And you find yourself lying in the lowest place you've ever been in your life. And there you are broken. And you are bleeding. And you are hurting. And the question becomes... Can God even save the day? Can God even save the day? I jotted down some of these thoughts. Someone who was supposed to love you forever leaves you and it hurts. Someone who was supposed to, to take care for you abuses you and it hurts. Your mom and dad divorce and to this day it still hurts. Someone lied to you and the hurt runs deep. Someone betrayed you and the hurt still stings. You want to have a child more than anything and the doctor says you you can't. Someone you loved and wanted to spend forever with died too soon. And some of you have buried your spouse, you've buried your child, you've buried someone you loved. You've lost people to cancer and to, and to heart disease or to suicide or other tragedies. And the hurt is great and the hurt is deep and you lie there and you wonder if God really can. You hurt, your hurt is real and your hurt runs deep. But church family, healing your hurt is not too tall of a task. It is not an impossible task for our God to heal. When you hurt, it doesn't mean you are helpless. When you hurt, it doesn't leave you hopeless. In fact, when you hurt, it is a reminder that you are still alive. And if you will let it, your hurt will point you to the healer of all hurts, and that is Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that truth. We celebrate that reality this morning. And here's one other point we're celebrating together today. And here's what I want you to to notice in light of your hurt from scriptures. We're going to uncover that there is no hurt, that in Jesus, there is no hurt that lasts forever. You need to hear me. Some of you are hurting terribly, you are hurting bad even in this moment. You need to be reminded by the God who created you, by the God who loves you, by the God who desires you, that there is no hurt, that in Jesus Christ lasts forever. And that is the great hope that we have. I love this. It scripture in scripture Revelation chapter 21. John glimpses a day when all things are being made new and he takes a glimpse into heaven. He says this, that he, meaning Jesus, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. Hey, listen, no more death. There'll be no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Man, aren't you grateful that the great enemy of any hurt is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and that one day there will be no more death, that one day there will be no more mourning, that there will be no more crying, that there will be no more pain because of what Christ has done for us. Man, I love it. But what about today? What about the hurt that is so real today? You know, our hurts remind us very simply that this is not our home. Every time I hurt physically, every time I'm hurt emotionally or spiritually, church, it is a subtle reminder that praise God this is not it. This is it. And it's a reminder of that reality. And hear me, I am very mindful that we may never fully heal of all of our hurts on this side of eternity. But here's the hope of the gospel, that you can begin the healing process no matter your hurt in Jesus today. Can I tell you something, church? And here's how the faith makes a difference in my life. It is that I know one day he's going to wipe every tear, but you know what? I know he desires today to begin wiping the tears from my eyes. Now when hurt comes, Jesus stands ready to begin wiping those tears and healing our hurts. But I think, what about now? I'm hurting someone I know is hurting. What do we do? And so today we simply do what we have done since the beginning of this series. We begin to look to Jesus and his life. Today we journey to where Jesus has hurt the deepest, where he has hurt the greatest, when all else seem hopeless, and we begin to look at his life and we begin to learn what it is to hurt and how God can heal every hurt. As I look back at the events of Jesus's death and resurrection, I'm quickly reminded of two points of great hurt, great anguish, great grief in his life. The first was when he was in the garden, when he wrestled with the reality of the cross and and the coming cup that was to be poured out on him. We talked last week that that was God's wrath being poured out on him because of our sin. And Jesus wrestled with this in the garden. And so great was the hurt and the anguish of that cup being poured out upon him on the cross, that Jesus began to sweat drops of blood. Talk about a moment of hurt. The second moment that I'm reminded of of Jesus where he hurt greatly was as he was on the cross and 2 Corinthians chapter five reminds us of this, that as God made him who knew no sin to become our sin for us, as God put our sins and the sins of the world on Jesus, that God himself would turn his back on his own son and Jesus would know the isolation and the loneliness that the sins of the world cause. And I think of that moment of Jesus on the cross and I think of what? great hurt and what did he do when the hurt was too much where did jesus go rather who did he turn to well in matthew chapter 26 we find jesus in the garden in verse 29 jesus hits his knees and he cries this out my father isn't it telling that the very son of god himself as he wrestles with this cup that's gonna be poured out on him, this wrath, the cross that he's the baby, he cries out, my Father. And then I turn over in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, and I find that Jesus who knew no sin became sin on the cross. Our sins have been poured out on him. Because of our sin, Jesus is now isolated and lonely as the Father turns his back. And you know what Jesus does in that great moment of hopelessness and despair? He cries out, my God, my God. And you know what I begin to take away? If God was Jesus' source for hope in the midst of his great hurt, how much more should Jesus, God in the flesh, be the first place you and I go when the hurt is too much? Here's the point. You ready, Anthony? What do I do when it hurts? Cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Think of it. Jesus was hurt as deeply and even more deeply than any hurt that we have faced. And that makes Jesus uniquely positioned to be the very one who can heal any hurt in your life and my life. You say, well, how bad did he really hurt? Well, let's take a look at scripture for a moment. Isaiah chapter 53. Now note this, Isaiah is writing this passage 700 years before the events of the cross and the resurrection. But 700 years before Jesus was to come and to walk on this earth. Yet inspired by the Holy Spirit, Isaiah gets a glimpse of Jesus as he will be. And he writes this description of him 700 years earlier. Look at what the Bible says. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. Watch as the scripture says, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Listen, as he describes it, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity, the dirtiness, the sin, the rebellion, the darkness of all of us was laid upon him. And so this morning, it's good to be reminded that it only seems right in the midst of our hurt to turn to the one who has endured such great hurt. And that's Jesus. That's Jesus. I'm reminded of this very same Jesus who in Matthew would say this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Have you ever hurt so deeply that you're worn out? And not just in a moment, but every day you're worn out. Every thought of it you can't escape. Have you been, ever been hurt so badly that, that you're so burdened that, that it's as if every day you walk and there's a, there's a little dark rain cloud over you, everywhere you go, no matter what's happening, the burden is just so great of that hurt. And Jesus says, Come to me, and I will give you rest. Here's the truth about Jesus. As as we hurt and we cry out to Jesus, here's a beautiful truth. I want to share this. Hebrews chapter 7 with you, verse 25. The Bible says that he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives, now catch this, since he always lives to make intercession for them, meaning those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know what this scripture teaches us? that in our hurt, as we cry out to Jesus, we know this, that Jesus is crying out for us. That he is praying for you. Guys, I want you to stop and think for a moment. Right now, even in this moment, that Jesus is interceding, that he is praying for you. And how much more in the midst of such great hurt As you cry out to him, is Jesus crying out to you. Here's what we learn. As you and I cry out to Jesus in the midst of our hurt, it allows us to put hurt in its place by the great hope we have in him. Because we know that God will never waste our hurt. Church, hear me. No matter the hurt you've gone through, God will never waste it. He can heal you in it and he can grow you through it. God never wastes our hurt. I love this quote. Our enemy tries to convince us in our hurt that our hurt will always define our past, disparage our presence, and darken our future. It'll define our past, disparage our present, and darken our future. And here's what we find from scripture that the greatest enemy of every hurt is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That doesn't have to be our story, why? Because in Christ, the greatest enemy of any hurt is hope. So when you hurt, church, you cry out to Jesus. And when you hurt, you remember that you're not alone. Tracy, uh, I love some of your pictures. Could you ever imagine a day where you'd have to go that alone? Without Jesus, there with you. That's your family, your church family, coming alongside of you. I just don't know how people do it without him, without his church. We're reminded when we hurt that we're not alone. Uh, How many of you guys have seen the Avengers movie? Come on, end game. How many of you guys have yet to see it, but you're going to see it? Here, let me just tell you how it ends. Uh, Now... I'm kidding. Uh, no, I wouldn't do that to you. Um, man, people get really upset about that, right? <laughs> You'd start charging the stage. Um, a really good movie. Aaron and I went and saw it on Friday night, and uh, we, we love, I love Avengers, I'm a sucker for all those kind of movies. Uh, let me give you the plot line, which is not gonna be shocking, it's not a spoiler, so uh, you don't have to cover your ears. Um, humanity in the universe has experienced a great hurt. And what's amazing is, as Hollywood makes it, everybody's hurting at such a deep level that you need some heroes to save the day. And so all of a sudden we have this movie where the heroes come and they, they try to save humanity and the universe from, some, from such a great hurt and, and all these scenes take place and it's wonderful. Hey, by the way, this is the best that Thor has ever looked. Just wanna let you know that. Um, you'll know what that's later when you watch the movie. But I wanna say, all these heroes arise to save the day from such great hurt. And you know what's amazing? Hollywood throws everything it has in a movie that the greatest superheroes that our minds can conjure, that our imaginations can create, the greatest battle scenes in all of history on the screen for you and I to see. And you know what Hollywood can't even do? Hollywood can't even erase hurt from the storyline. Because even as the movie ends, there's still a lot of great hurt to be had. Isn't that true for you and I? That interwoven in the fabric of humanity and our stories is hurt, we can't escape it. It's a part of our existence. But we are reminded in Jesus that when it comes to our hearts, we are not alone. Think of this, Jesus endured the greatest degree of loneliness imaginable, so you and I would never be lonely again in our hurts because of Jesus. Consider Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. I love this passage that it says, from the cross Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, let me teach you a little interesting note here. This passage is also found in Psalms 22, written 1,000 years before Jesus was crucified. David, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, was able to take a glimpse at the Messiah's suffering as coming, his suffering, and the great hurt and anguish that he would experience upon his death. And so David writes it out in a psalm. And what's amazing is, is what we believe in the church community, that on the day Jesus was crucified, that he would quote the entirety of Psalm 22 as he experienced it on the cross. Imagine that. He knew the anguish and the hurt. He had already memorized that passage Scripture. In fact, he wrote it and he still endured the cross. And here we find him in Matthew quoting from Psalm 22 My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Take a look at this psalm for just a moment. Talk about hurt and isolation. Look at what the psalmist says. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember a thousand years before the cross. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I do not find rest but I am a worm in verse six, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they hurl their insults, shaking their heads. I'm gonna tell you something. What we find here is a picture of isolation and loneliness. And I'm gonna hear, I want you to hear me. The hopelessness that sin brings. The hopelessness of our sin that was poured out on Jesus and thus the isolation from God the Father. This is a hurt that is deepened by a loss of hope. And Jesus endured such hurt that you and I would never lose hope in the midst of our hurts. He endured loneliness and isolation on the cross so that through him we would never be alone in our hurts. It's why the author of Hebrews would quote from an Old Testament passage and remind every every believer that never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, says the Lord. From the old to the new, it's the reminder for those of us who love God that we are never alone, no matter the gravity, no matter the, the stakes of our hurt, no matter how deep, no matter how great. He reminds us that I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Hey, church, you ready? When you hurt, you're not alone. You're not alone. He's there with you. But not only only is Jesus there for us, but look at this little provision in Scripture here. Romans chapter 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourner, and maybe in your translation, weep with those who are weeping. You know what this admonition is to? You know who it's pointed at? the church. So God in his goodness and his sovereignty and his love for us is this. Not only can Christ be the very answer to every hurt that you have, not leaving you alone as you cry out to him, but he's gonna raise up the church to minister and be called to action every time people hurt. You're not alone. You have Jesus first and foremost, but hear me, you are not alone because you have his church, his bride to help you in your hurting. But listen, I'm the church. How do I help people when they hurt? How is it that I can minister in the midst of somebody's hurting so great and so deep? Here's a couple of things I want to share with you, church. You are called into action when people hurt. We, we don't have the luxury of just skirting by it or turning a blind eye. We're called into action. You ready? How do I minister to someone who is hurting so greatly? Number one, the power of your presence. Hear me, note what I didn't say. Not clever Christianese phrases. Not shooting over a devotional only. How do I help someone who's hurting you? Ready? The power of your presence. Just being there with somebody, crying with them, dismayed with them, hurting with them. The power of your presence. People always come to a tragedy or, or a hurting situation go, man, I just want to fix this. You can't. And your words can't. And your Christian phrases can't. But the power of your presence will speak volumes. And how do I help those who are hurting? Don't neglect the power of prayer. Not only while you're with them, praying for them, but when you're not with them, trusting God with them and lifting them up in prayer. Prayer can accomplish so much more than our attempts at saying the right words. Because can I share something with you? There are no right words to fix it. I've been at the bedside of people who've died. I've been in the doctor's offices where terrible diagnoses have been, have been given. I have been at the side of families that are broken and crumbling. I've been in the jail cell I've been all across those who's hurting in their lives and not a single one of my words can fix it. But the power of my presence, the power of prayer, and the power of practicing discernment when the day is you minister to those who are hurting. The power of practicing discernment. You ready? I'm gonna tell you something. I rarely ever preach a sermon when someone's hurting. I hear them. And I'm there with them. And then I find little cracks in the midst of all of this story around the rim of their hurt, and I point them to Jesus every chance I get. Why? Because I'm convinced that when the hurt is great and the hurt is deep, that my job is to point you to the healer of all hopes, hurts, and that is Jesus, to the great enemy of every hurt, and that is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. You are not alone. When it hurts, you are not alone. You have Christ first and foremost, and by his good and great design, you have his church. You are not alone. And here's the last part of when it hurts. Not only do you cry out to Jesus, and not only are you reminded that you're not alone, but church, when it hurts, forgive. We learn that from Jesus, don't we? When it hurts, forgive. Life hurts, but I'm going to tell you some of the darkest and most devastating hurts that hurt so deep come from other people. Wouldn't you agree? Man, listen, life can hurt, but when somebody hurts you, there's a deeper level to that, especially someone you trust, someone you love. What does Jesus know of that? Well, you look at Jesus' life, and when you consider the source of Jesus' as hurt, you realize that it was all at the hands of other people. Think of it the leaders falsely accused him, the Romans beat and crucified him, Judas betrayed him, Peter denied him, the disciples abandoned him. And truly, when we get down to the truth of it, it was my sin that crucified him. Man, I hurt him. And yet, I look to his greatest moment of hurt. And I see how he fights that hurt. And you know what he does it with? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. In John chapter 13, verse five, I wanna share this passage with you. This is before the cross. Jesus shares his last meal with his disciples. It says, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What does this have to do with forgiveness? Well, it has to do with Jesus humbling himself, washing feet and loving his disciples, knowing that they would desert him, that they would abandon him, and knowing that they would deny him soon. And you know what kind of picture of forgiveness we're being painted right here? Is that Jesus chose to forgive before he was ever hurt. Man, church, I'm gonna tell you, mom and dad choose to forgive before you've ever been hurt. Husband and wife. Choose to forgive before you've ever been hurt. Friend, family member, co-worker, student. Choose to forgive long before you've ever been hurt. And watch what Jesus does here. In Luke chapter 23, he cries down from the cross. He's been crucified. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Not only does Jesus forgive them before he's even hurt by them, but now we find in the midst of his great hurt, he forgives. I want to tell you, we learn from Jesus that forgiveness is an incredible fight against the hurt that comes from other people. And I want to be honest with you. I know a lot of your stories. You have been hurt. I have been hurt by people in life. Is there any hope? And Jesus shows us that there is great hope because hope is the enemy of any hurt that we face. I've heard it said this way, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting it to kill someone else. Just doesn't work like that, does it? But forgiveness, whether they deserve it or not, It's part of the way that God brings healing in your life. When it hurts, forgive. I love this statement. Those who forgive much have been forgiven much just when you want to withhold forgiveness, just when you want to continue in that bitterness, you remember the depths at which God had reached down and saved you. You remember the darkness of your sin. You remember the depth of your rebellion against him. And we begin to be reminded that those who forgive much have been forgiven much. And when it hurts, we forgive. Our enemy tries to convince us in our hurt that our hurt will always define our past, disparage our present, and darken our future. But we know the greatest enemy of any hurt is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna close with this story. So almost seven years ago now, Aaron and I uh, rushed to the hospital. Uh, she was nine, I mean, she was right at nine months. Lord, she's about to pop with our firstborn child. And she'd gotten up in the middle of the night and said, Anthony, I think I'm going into labor. So it's just two o'clock in the morning. I went, You're not, you're okay. Just go back to bed, right? Uh, That was a great husband moment. And uh, anyway, so a few hours later, we went to the doctor as soon as it opened and she was uh, almost eight centimeters dilated, right? Um, That's why I'm not a doctor. Anyway, and so so we rushed to the hospital and everything's going well. I remember that day, uh, family had time to get in before she gave birth. So they were coming in from Tennessee. We lived in Charlotte. Everything was perfect, perfect. I was eating the greatest chicken tenders on the planet, from Harper's Restaurant. We were all sitting in there eating while Aaron couldn't. And uh, we were just enjoying chicken tenders. Well, the time came, the doctor's like, hey, listen, you're gonna meet your daughter here in just a few minutes. And so the family got out of the room. It's just me and Dana, her mama. And, and, and the whole birthing process began. I'm gonna be honest with you. Not how I quite imagined it. Um, it was like watching Saving Private Ryan. Anyway, it was just, it, it was beautiful and terrifying and, all of this was going on and I was just watching it all take place. It was just wonderful. Um, she gave birth to Avery. I mean, she pushed for like 30 minutes and here was my daughter and, and I was holding her and, and I cut the umbilical cord, you know, it didn't throw up. That was a big win that day and, 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 I, and I held her and it was big for me as a dad. I just always want to be my girl's first kiss. So I reached down there and I kissed her. I'll never forget that as I kissed her, I looked up at my wife and I, I thought, something's not right. Her color was gone. I looked down at the doctor, and she was panicked. I was holding Avery, and I thought, you know, something's off here. I looked on the floor, and there was more blood than there should have been. And it continued to pour. So I went over to Dana, and I handed off Avery. And I went up to my wife, and and she's now in terrible pain. She metabolized all her medicine. The doctors were frantically trying to find something, and, and all of a sudden, she's, she's struggling. I look over at her doctor and I say, is my wife okay? And she throws out the words, we're doing everything we can. I, well, no, wait a second. We're not there yet. What are you talking about? She just she had a baby. Next thing I know, doctors and nurses start pouring into our room. They call for the head of all baby doctors, of women's doctors, and all of Charlotte. And thank God he was there, Dr. Revel, and brought him in. And my wife's continuing to bleed. She's hemorrhaging. We don't know what's going on. They start going, hey, hey, do you know she has cancer? I'm like, she don't have cancer. Is she having a She doesn't have a sick. She's perfectly healthy. Stop the bleeding. Come on. And I'm standing there, and I'm watching as the color fades, and they lift her her body up as to hopefully get enough blood to her heart and her brain. I watch her vital signs, and they're beginning to disappear. And in a moment, I went from celebrating what, outside of Jesus and my wedding, now is one of the greatest moments of holding my daughter, to now my wife is dying, and I cannot do anything about it. I listen to the doctors and nurses as they start going, "What's going on?" I said, "We got to stop the bleeding." One said, "Well, go get the surgery room ready." I'll never forget. One of the doctors said, "We don't have time for surgery. You got to stop the bleeding." And all of this is going on, and and I'm I'm watching my wife, and she's dying. I can't do anything. I sit there and just rubbing her head, and then the hopelessness, and the hurt, and the thought that I will never. See my wife again on this lot, just it overwhelms you, it darkens your spirit. I'll never forget, I thought, man, I'm gonna have to raise this little girl all by myself. That's not how it was supposed to be. And I watched and these doctors were working, and I'll never forget Aaron was, she started to mumble. They put some mask on her and she started mumbling. And I said, I said, sweetheart, I didn't hear you. you're going to be okay, I didn't hear you. And and I lifted up her her breathing mask just for a minute, and she said, Anthony, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to the Lord. And I watched in a moment that seemed so hopeless and helpless. As my wife was dying, she was bleeding to death with no end in sight. I saw the Lord minister healing to her. In that moment, not physically, but he was healing her here. She was hurting, but she wasn't hopeless. She she was hurting, but she wasn't helpless. And we walked through this, and I was wrestling with what was the greatest hurt of my life at that moment. What probably took five to ten minutes was an eternity for me, and I'll never forget that the head doctor of all the hospitals in Charlotte, who by God's provision was there, looked up in despair and said, I can't do anything else for her. Somebody find where she's bleeding. I can't stop the bleeding. And another doctor came in and she said, wait, 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 she's not bleeding anymore. He said, it's impossible, I didn't stop it. She said, no, she's not bleeding. And all of a sudden all these scans and rush here from there and all of a sudden, The bleeding had stopped, and my wife was coming back to life. And and he spent time, and and he brought healing to her body. He did such a wonderful job, and I'll never forget when we were done, he walked up to her, and he kissed my wife on the forehead. And she said, thank you, thank you. And he said, sweetheart, someone far bigger and better than me stopped your bleeding because I couldn't. I remember thinking how good God is that I get to do life with my wife when I maybe couldn't have. But I'm even greater, I'm even more thankful that in the moment of her greatest hurt, and she was hurting so bad, I'm so grateful of the the healing that, that God did in her hurt as she was wrestling with the fact that she might die. Never grow old with me, never raise her kid. God met her there with only hope that Jesus can bring. And I think about all the hurts that are represented here. And I tell you, not because I'm a pastor and that's what I do, but just as a guy like you, a dad like you, a spouse like you are, son, no matter the hurt, God can heal your hurt. You can wipe your tears God can bring hope where it seems hopeless God is our help when it seems helpless and the message that we find from the cross and the resurrection is that God can, that there is no arena of our life, there is no hurt too great, that God cannot heal that is too impossible for him Some of your marriages are hurting. Some of your hearts are hurting. Some of your kids are hurting. Some of your parents are hurting. Your body is hurting. I'm just telling you today that God can heal your hurts. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.